series of messages where we're looking at um, stories out of the Children's Storybook Bible, or the Jesus Storybook Bible. And uh, so we've been just working through Genesis the last month and a half or so, and today we're up to Genesis chapter 29. And I'd encourage you to, to turn to Genesis 29 and then just put a finger in your Bible right there. Uh, because before we get to that, I'd, I'd like to give you some background. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about this guy Jacob in the Bible. So uh, Jacob is a pretty big deal in the Bible. He is the son of Isaac, and he's the grandson of Abraham, which if you've been here, you know that that means that he is a part of this really special family that God has called. He's going to bless that family, and through that family, he's going to bless the world, okay? And Jacob is a critical part to that family because God had promised that this family would have significant influence. In fact, he said that they would become a whole nation. But Abraham, who first got the, the promise, he only had one son in this family. And then his son Isaac only had two sons in this family. So God had promised that, that they would be as many as the, the stars in the sky and the sand in the seashore. And so far this has not happened at all. But then Jacob comes along and Jacob has 12 sons. It was through Jacob that, that this family would really begin to kind of explode in size so that it could eventually become this nation that God would use to bless the world. But you might know that Jacob is famous for more than just having a bunch of kids. So the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible, really important book of the Bible, it's 50 chapters long. Jacob is a primary player in about half of those chapters. In fact, he is such a big deal in God's plan in Genesis that the nation that would come out of this family, so right, the family becomes a tribe, the tribe becomes a nation, that nation would be named not after Abraham, who got the, the promise first, or his son Isaac, but that nation would be named after Jacob. So in chapter 32 of Genesis, God changes Jacob's name to Israel. And from that name, the nation gets its name. Now, you might expect, you know, if this guy is such a big deal person, and he's a part of this big deal family in the Bible, you might expect that he must be really exceptional. That he must be really devout and honest and morally upstanding, right? You know, sometimes, I think a lot of times people assume that if a character in the Bible uh, gets a lot of attention, or if a character in the Bible is said to be blessed by God, we kind of assume that, well, the moral of a story about that person must be that you've got to go out there and be like them, right? But this morning, I want to tell you as loudly and clearly as possible that it is almost never, it is almost never a good idea to be like Jacob, okay? So the first time we meet Jacob, uh, his brother Esau is coming back from a hunt. So his brother was like a real like outdoorsman. And he's gone on this hunt, and the hunt has gone very badly. In fact, it's gone so badly that by the time Esau gets home, he basically like staggers through the front door, and he collapses on the floor. He, he, uh, he says, in his own words, he says that he's so hungry, he's so famished, he's afraid he's going to die. Now, lucky for Esau, who would be sitting in the kitchen preparing this delicious pot of stew? None other than his little brother, 
Jacob. Now, since Jacob is the grandson of God's special promise, since he is the focus of the book of Genesis, and since he is the father of God's chosen nation, what might we expect Jacob to do in this situation? How about save his brother's life? How about not let his brother die on the ground in front of him? How about just give his brother a cup of soup? Is that what he does? No! Jacob looks down at his dying brother and he says, Hey, brother, fancy seeing you here. Hey, I was thinking, uh, you know that big birthright inheritance that, that you're supposed to get because you're the older brother? Tell you what, why don't you give me that inheritance? In other words, why don't you give me all your future wealth and in return, I will give you this bowl of stew. And Esau's like, are you kidding me? Like, I don't care about that right now. Like, I'm going to die. Like, fine, whatever. I'll take the deal. And for the first time in the Bible, we realize what kind of character Jacob is. Jacob's a con man. He's a, he's a, he's a swindler. He's a cheat. Don't be like Jacob. The next time we meet Jacob, it is now his father who is dying. Um, uh, his father Isaac is old and frail and blind. And he's sensing that the end of his life is near. And so he calls his favorite son Isaac, or his favorite son Esau, to, to come into the room. And, and he asks Esau to go on a hunt and, and to get some of the, the game that he knows his dad really likes and, and to prepare it the way that he likes it and to, to bring it back to the house and, and give him some. And then Sort of after that last meal, Isaac will give Esau this kind of older son blessing before his dad dies. And so Esau heads out on this hunt uh, to get this uh, animal that his dad likes. Meanwhile, Jacob, Jacob hears about this plan and he comes up with a plan of his own. He's not much of a hunter, so he just goes to the backyard. He finds a tasty looking goat tied up somewhere. He kills that, butchers it, prepares it the way that his father likes it. Then he gets one of his, father's, one of his brother's coats. Uh, he puts that on so he can smell like his brother. And then, I love this detail, so uh, Esau was really hairy, the Bible tells us. This is important for us to know. He was really hairy. Uh, and so uh, Jacob was not, so he takes animal skins. He puts those on his arms so that when his blind father reaches out to touch him, it'll feel like he's touching his son Esau and not Jacob. And so Jacob, all dressed up in this clownish outfit, goes into the room where his father, his blind father, is dying. And he gives his dad the food. And his dad is blind, but he's not stupid. And, uh, and he says, are, are you sure you're Esau? Because you sound a lot like my other son, Jacob. But again and again, Jacob chooses to lie to his father, to cheat him, to deceive him, until finally he gets the blessing that was meant for his brother. That's Jacob for you. Okay? Jacob is a con man, he's a swindler, and he's a cheat. Don't be like Jacob. Okay? Which brings us to our story today. Now Jacob is on the run. His brother wants to kill him for obvious reasons. 
And so he runs to this town uh, real far away from where he was. It happens to be the town where his mother is from. And in addition to being on the run from his brother trying to save his life, he would not be disappointed if he ran into a, a lady. He's looking for a wife. And so he goes to the town well. It's a good place to meet people. And who would come up at the town well but the most beautiful woman he's ever seen? Rachel. Jacob falls for Rachel, and he falls hard. Uh, there's this great detail in the story where, uh, so in those days, uh, wells would sometimes have like a big stone cover on them. And, and it would sometimes take you know, two or three of these big, strong shepherds to move the stone off of the well. The Bible tells us that when Rachel walked up, Jacob moved that stone by himself. Just like a little flexing of his muscles. I mean, he's got it bad for Rachel, okay? And Rachel has it bad for him. So Rachel goes, she gets her dad, Laban. He comes to meet this Jacob. Turns out they're relatives. This is a good thing. Uh, and so uh, Laban invites Jacob to move in with them for a while. And that's where we pick it up in our story today. This is chapter 29, verse 15. After Jacob had stayed with Laban for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes. And I'll be honest, I looked this up all over the place. There's like ten different theories about what weak eyes means. It could mean she's cross-eyed. It could mean she's not much to look at. Uh, it could mean she didn't have a sparkle in her eye. The important thing is the contrast, okay? So verse 17, Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel. And so he says to his uncle, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban says this. He says, well, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Which you'll notice is not the same as saying, oh, that's a good deal. I'll go with that. He says, stay here with me. And so Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. But they seemed like only a few days because of his love for her. And then Jacob said to Laban, all right, seven years are up. Give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to lie with her. And so Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. We have to assume from what happens next that a lot of alcohol was served. But when evening came, Laban took his daughter Leah and gave Leah to Jacob. And Jacob lay with her. And Laban also gave his servant girl Zilpah to his daughter as her maidservant. And when morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Like, oh, did, did I not mention that seven years ago? Sorry, I, I guess it just slipped my mind. Finish this daughter's bridal week. In other words, get it over with with Leah, and then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, 
And then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban also gave his servant girl Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maidservant. Jacob lay with Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So you see what's happening in our story today. Uh, Remember, Jacob had used his father's blindness as a way to pull a fast one on his brother. Now Laban uses the Jacob's blindness, whether it's because of the alcohol or the darkness of night, to pull a fast one on Jacob. Jacob had used his brother's insatiable appetite for food to pull a fast one on Esau. Now Laban uses his nephew's insatiable appetite for sex to pull a fast one on his nephew. In other words, the con man gets conned, right? The swindler gets swindled, the cheater gets cheated. There's a kind of poetic justice in our story today. Jacob gets what he deserves. Which makes for an interesting story. But what exactly are we supposed to make of it? Right? Uh, What is the point of stories like these? Well, you know, one way to look at this story is to just be amazed and grateful that God can use such flawed, manipulative, morally compromised people in His plan. Jacob and Laban deserve each other, right? But they don't deserve God. Why would God allow Himself to be associated with people like these men? Whatever the reason God does associate with them, God would use even Laban and Jacob. Jacob and his wives and their servants would have a lot of kids in that special family God intended. God would use even the conning and the cheating and the swindling of this story And through these crooked men, God's chosen family would grow into a nation that could bless the world. And I think that for you and me, this is good news, okay? This story reminds us that God does not need perfect people doing perfect things to get His perfect plan accomplished. As the saying goes, uh, God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. And for those of us who are aware of how crooked we can be, this is good news. right? Because, of course, we, we are now God's chosen family. We are now kind of a big deal in God's plan. God now intends to bless the world through us, through His church. It's like, doesn't He know? I mean, doesn't He know about all the issues we've got? How we foul things up and screw things up and mess things up all the time. We don't do the things we should do. We do things that we shouldn't do. And yet God chooses again and again to use us anyway. For all the times we've messed up, God works through us anyway. 
So the story of Jacob and Laban can be read as a story of God's grace. Uh, These stories of these crooked men remind us that God can use even deeply flawed people in His flawless plan. But there is another way that these kinds of stories are sometimes applied in our world today. Uh, Sometimes stories like these are used as a kind of free pass for bad behavior. For example, I've heard it used for public figures, right? So, sure, the, the man misleads almost constantly. He's obsessed mostly with himself. He demeans women, he insults minorities, he separates children from their parents at the border. In other words, sure, he's no saint. But that's okay. After all, it's grace, right? What about Jacob? What about Laban? God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. Same argument can be used for us, right? Sure, I'm, I'm not interested in helping anybody but myself. Sure, I lie and cheat and steal when I can get away with it. Sure, I do whatever I want in my sex life. Sure, I don't have the slightest interest in changing my behavior, but that's okay. It's grace. God doesn't need flawless people to accomplish His plan. God can work through even the most broken vessel. Surely, the stories of Laban and Jacob prove that. But this morning, I want you to notice another detail in our story. I want you to notice the women. Imagine what it would have been like to be Leah. I think having a sister like Rachel would have been miserable, right? Beautiful, popular, attractive. To always be compared, to even have the Bible compare your weak eyes to her lovely form and beauty. I think that would have been hard enough. But now imagine your father taking that difference between you and your sister, that difference that had been so painful your whole life. And imagine having your father take that difference and weaponize it to trick a man into marrying you so that he can get another seven years of cheap labor. How would that feel? How would it feel once married to Jacob to realize that every time he looks in your face, he is reminded not of his love for you, but he is reminded of his humiliation because of you. He's reminded of the seven extra years of his life he had to work to marry the woman that everybody knows he really loved. You know, the the Hebrew in verse 31 actually can be translated, not that Leah was not loved, but Leah was hated. Leah was hated. Thanks a lot, Jacob and Laban. Don't be like Jacob and Laban. Jacob and Laban do ugly things in our stories today. 
But you notice that God does something beautiful. So look at verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb. She had children. And from Leah, unloved Leah, we find out later she had a son, Judah. And from Judah's line would come none other than Jesus Christ. Leah, unloved Leah, unwanted Leah, becomes the great, 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 great grandmother of the Savior of the world. Her father didn't care about her. Her husband didn't love her. To the world, she was not much. But God saw Leah. And God acted on her behalf. And this is just God's way. Throughout the Bible, God may use even corrupt leaders and crooked people for His purposes. This is true. But He never fails to notice the people impacted by their crookedness and corruption. By the way, this is why we still call fellow Christians to constantly repent and change. Yes, God can use even us, even in our sin. Thank God. But frankly, God is God, right? I mean, He could use axe murderers for His purposes. But that doesn't mean we should be happy being axe murderers, right? If God has saved you, wouldn't you also want Him to change you? To make your heart more like His. In our story today, Jacob and Laban did Leah wrong. And as much as I am grateful, and I am grateful that God can still work through men like that, because I know I can be a man like that, I am also very grateful today that God does not forget women like Leah. He sees them, and He acts. Throughout the Bible, God has a special place in His heart for the unpopular and the unloved. He has a special place in His heart for Leah's. You hear it especially in the Old Testament where God pleads with His people over and over and over again to never forget the same three groups of people. He names them constantly. The orphans, the widows, and the immigrants. God says, take care of these kinds of people. Account for these people. These are the people the world does not think much of. They are the uncared for and the unloved. They are the Leahs of this world. God says the world may pass over people like that. The world may see them as nothing more than a roadblock to something better or nicer or fancier. But God says, I do not pass over Leah's. And if you follow me, you should not pass over them either. Those are my people. As Christians, we have been saved by a God who can work through Jacob's and Laban's. Thank God for that. But we also have been saved by a God who has a heart for Leah's. And He wants to take every one of us in all of our Jacobness and Labanness, and He wants to change us. He wants to make our heart more like His. 
The world may not love the Leahs, but God sees. And He acts on their behalf, and He wants us to see and to act also. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You that You are a God of grace who takes us as we are. That even in our crookedness and corruption, You still choose to work through us. And we don't exactly understand why You do that, but we are grateful that You do. But Lord, we pray for those who are impacted by our sin in this church. The people that we overlook, the people that we willfully ignore, the people that are convenient for us to forget. Lord, we pray that You would open our eyes. Help us to see these people as You see them. Help us to see and to act on their behalf. Change our heart and make it like yours, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.